Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. We still want to be rewarded. We still want to be acknowledged. So why would we not think that it's our responsibility as leaders to lay track for our team members to be successful? Welcome back to episode 25 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Huge thanks to our sponsors and friends over at DonorPerfect who are making this episode possible. Today, I'm interviewing Kashana Palmer, a powerhouse international speaker, trainer, and coach with over 20 years in fundraising, marketing, and talent management. She helps leaders create high-performing teams. Kashana is CEO of Kashana & Co., an organizational development firm focused on helping everyday leaders live well and lead well. Her firm's work centers on equity and social justice and practical solutions for today's organizations. She is the founder of The Rooted Collaborative, a global community focused on growth and development of women leaders of color in the social sector. She's also the host of the podcast, Let's Take This Offline. And those are only a few of the things that she does. This episode is all about the do's and don'ts of nonprofit leadership. We talk about how to upgrade your working habits and behaviors. And we also talk about what often gets in the way of doing exactly that. Too often, I don't think we recognize the role our egos play in our work in this sector because we're doing such mission-driven work that sometimes it makes it easy to deflect when we're making something about us. We often see this play out in what Kashana calls martyritis, something I definitely had as a nonprofit leader when I was stuck in a scarcity mindset and that hamster hustle wheel that way too many of you know too well. In this episode, we don't shy away from talking about the hard things, how to handle your ego, recognize when you're falling into patterns of martyrdom, and how to take back the control you want and need to run your organization well. These tips and tricks are designed to help you start 2022 strong, even with all of the uncertainty surrounding us right now. In this conversation, Kish and I tell the truth, and there might be moments that are hard to hear. I admit to some things I am definitely not proud of, but I really believe owning our mistakes, taking accountability, and committing to do better is the only way to move this conversation and the sector forward. But don't be fooled by all this seriousness. There is no one I laugh harder with than Kashana, and you are going to hear us rolling at multiple points. I love this woman, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's go talk to Kish. All right. Welcome, everyone. I could not be more excited to be here today with my friend, Kashana Palmer. I'm just ready for a lot of laughter and a lot of realness. And I'm just so grateful for all the time that we get to spend together. So thanks for joining me today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Thank you for hanging out with me. And yeah, man, we get to see that. We're real friends, y'all. We are not internet friends, friend. Okay. We have hugged in real life. In real life. We have all types of photos. We have also gotten a little saucy. Yeah, we have. I know. I was like, it is too early for wine. It's 2.30 here. But- and yet, you know, here we are. <laughs> and I thought about it. Okay. Start off with just a little intro into you and your work and what brings you here. So I, it's so funny, a girlfriend of mine said the other day that I have to stop saying this now because it's not actually true, but I used to say, I am a recovering fundraiser because every time the people, I try to leave Mallory, the people keep bringing me back. Why? <laughs> leave me be, okay? I'm not that successful. But evidently, over the last 20 plus years, I have managed to build quite a career around fundraising, marketing, communications, policy, leading some really amazing national nonprofits, more on the social venture side of the house. And so fast growth organizations really focused on doing deep impact or widespread impact, depending on where I was in the country. So I've lived all over 
The only place I have not raised money yet in this here United States is in the Midwest. And that's just because the people didn't give me the job till it was too late. Okay. And then I went to California, but I now serve as CEO of Kashana & Co. And my company focuses on helping everyday leaders who are in the trenches of making their missions happen, live well through well-being, through thinking about all the ways in which to live a healthy life and lead well through authentic, inclusive, equitable, justice-centered strategies, operating from a place of strength and not from a place of deficit or weakness. Lots of my clients are folks who call me in where they're like, there is trouble in this house. There is trouble in this house. (laughs) And then I come in, kick the door open and realize, nah, it's not really trouble. We just have gotten so used to being on the hamster wheel of busy that we have not allowed ourselves to slow down to actually assess the work that we need to do as humans who spend a lot of time together. So that is really what I do. I'm a leadership trainer, coach, consultant. I do a lot of org design work, a lot of DEI equity focused work. And it just so happens that I get to have some of the best clients in the world who work in the nonprofit sector and work in tech. And so that's kind of where I am. But you know, that's not the cool stuff, Mallory. (laughs) No, you're also this amazing mother and you also are the best public speaker. I have to tell you, when I watched you speak in person publicly, I started just DMing all my friends in Silicon Valley. I was like, if you ever need a leadership trainer, you need to look at this woman. She's amazing. I would hire her for anything. Just like you're... Your energy, your realness, the way you communicate complex and hard ideas in a way that is digestible, translatable, inclusive. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. So you're you're the real deal. (laughs) Listen, that's because I grew up in a very Jamaican family where I think our unwritten motto, probably at the bottom of our family crest was he who talks loudest wins. And if you wanted to be heard, and you grew up in a big house, a big family too. So if you wanted to be heard, you better not be a pipsqueak in a corner, okay? <laughs> no one is paying attention to you. And yeah. so, and my mother, until I was probably in high school, we used to tease her so much that she was our human dictionary. And so this is a proper Jamaican lady with a British accent who went to the finest boarding schools in Jamaica. And, and you know, she just carries herself with this sort of like air of like, you just want to sit up straighter from the base of your pelvis. Okay. I like, already do. You already do, don't you, right? <laughs> yeah. And so early on, I have always been a chatty Cathy and I always, and I tell this story sometimes for folks, so this is like put a fine point on it. I remember when I was in the seventh grade and Mr. Feldman was my social studies teacher and my homeroom teacher. And I have always had a lot to say. I'm very verbose. And he called my mama, who works at a hospital, okay, doing the Lord's work, (laughs) to come up to the school during the middle of her shift to talk to him about the fact that I talk too much. And when Miss Dawn put her purse, in New York, he said, with a pocketbook, and put it on her shoulder and came into that building and went to go see Mr. Feldman, she asked him, are her grades suffering? No, she's a straight A student. Is she distracting other students from doing their work? Actually, no, she's quite helpful in the classroom and helps others with their work. Is she causing you to not do your work? No, it's just that she just talks a lot. She's a lot to say. You know, she is constantly just, just has a lot of extra words and things. And she leaned in and told that man, if you ever call me at my job again, because you need help with managing your classroom, you are not going to like the kind of visit I'm going to pay you. And I just want y'all to know that right after that, I became the school's morning announcer. And so I really feel like whatever Dawn said to him that day, wherever Mr. Feldman is right now in the world, I hope the man is happily retired, that it just left an indelible imprint on my mind, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That made me talk it wasn't so bad. Oh my gosh. I love that. That is the best story. And it's true in my family too. I mean, my husband is an introvert from a much quieter family and he came into my family oldest of four. Like we have so many interesting life similarities and he was like, how do you speak here? <laughs> like, no, how do you? Double Dutch. You better get in. You better That's get in. literally what he called it. He was like, I don't know how to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally get it. And it's probably why we have so much fun talking because it feels Absolutely. like, you know, yeah. Okay. So tell me something that most people don't know about you. I feel like your 
popularity and visibility has grown so much over the last few years. And I bet there are tons of people out there that are like, we know Kish. Yeah. Yeah. What's the thing that you feel like people don't get know about you, but that's emerging in this 2022 year? I think people don't know how funny I am. And I think that's because in my career, I had to really actively strike the balance between not being here for your entertainment and being entertaining because I am mostly entertaining myself. I just want you to know. If I'm up there laughing and giggling, y'all, I promise you it's for my own entertainment. I've seen something you have not seen. And I am tickled by it. And so I think now as I'm getting older and getting more comfortable and confident and I'm not in performance mode all the time, And performance for me doesn't mean being on stage. Like when I'm on stage, I'm alive. I was the kid who was the scarecrow in Oz, in The Wiz, I'm sorry, when the production came to my class. Let me tell you, Mallory, I didn't learn nothing in fifth grade. I just want you to know it's, but it's, listen, it's glory and smarts that got me to junior high school because my fifth grade teacher didn't teach us a darn thing. But we did do the best production of The Wiz New York City Public Schools had ever seen in that year. I want you to know. But my just love for being on stage and love to be in front of people and to bring people just like a level of joy and knowledge and just to walk away from interactions with me feeling like, ah, there's probably lots of careers I would have gone into if I was maybe deeper in my faith. I might have gone into ministry um, if I had felt called to do that or something that would have had me out in front. So it took me some time to calibrate what performing and then also what just like showing a different layer of the kaleidoscope of Kashana was like. And that took some time. And so I think what people don't know about me now is that I will cut up. I have a bad a potty mouth, fast, dirty jokes. I am quick on the draw. I probably could do the dozens improv, like any of those things and be ready and excited about life. And so I think that's probably one thing. It's probably lots of things, but I think if I thought about that, like that's probably one of the things that a funder once had asked me, have you ever considered a career in comedy? And I was leaning to myself like, did this bit, wait a minute, is that a, a compliment? <laughs> and she was like, no, no, because I am an amateur comedian. And I said, I was like, oh, oh okay, because I was about to jump all the way through the phone. <laughs> so I was like, Maybe there's something there, Mallory. I mean, I would for sure come to your stand-up show. So just saying, just saying. It'd just be um, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd be laughing hysterically. Hysterically. <laughs> Something I really appreciate about your humor is I feel like it is a really important thing to have when we're doing work that's really big and really hard and we're tired. And so all the things you do, I feel like it's this really incredible skill balance actually to bring some lightness increase the energy in a room when you're talking about heavy things or leading an organization through heavy things. But you're also in so many ways throughout your career, you have strengthened, grown, supported organizations to do all these things. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of patterns of behaviors in that work, right? And you do a ton of work around leadership development and how leaders are managing their teams and all these things. What's the biggest leadership no-no that you are just real tired of hearing about in our sector? Oh, child. First of all, I just want to lean in and tell all you folks who are like extra narcissistic, but nobody has told you yet because people really don't like you and they're not afraid of you. They just don't want to bury you because they don't think that they're, they think they're going to get caught. If they couldn't get caught, you'd be gone. I just want you to know. But this idea that things are about me and about my ascension to a leadership post like that, being in that spot, whatever that is, is the goal, I think, has gotten folks into all manner of relationship kerfluffles. And some of the relationship kerfluffles that I'm talking about are really using folks and then saying things like, well, you know, it wasn't personal, Mallory. Oh, so you like me as a person, but you stepped on my neck professionally. You feel like I'm going to see you in the parking lot. or saying that you're leveraging folks' talent when really you are wringing them dry and then hanging them out to dry. Or that you are chasing the best, but you are neither developing yourself and your skills because we all at each season of our life are at the lowest level of competence for that new level. But so you want the best, but you're not investing in yourself. You're not getting a coach. You're not joining the mastermind. You're not going to the next level conference. You're not spending time reading, et cetera so that you continue to best yourself so that you can attract folks who also want that type of visioning and that type of energy push 
for themselves. So I see a lot of selfish, selfish behavior hidden under the following. I'm just here for the work. Because at the end of the day, it's all about our mission. It's really about our fill-in-the-blank mission. Are the kids, the babies, the schools, the this, the that. Is it though? Or is it about your ego? And so there's a lot of ego-driven us activity, wonderfully wrapped in other things that I think continues to persist. It's one of the reasons why we're stepping into a decade upcoming where about 80,000 folks are going to be retiring from leadership roles across our sector. And the reality is we've probably been saying that for the last 10 years. When are y'all leaving? (laughs) And have you done the work to ensure that your fave isn't the one who's next in line, but that you have really identified what needs to be true for the organization to move to its next level of durability and sustainability? And have you gotten the necessary types of input that are actionable across your stakeholder audience? That's everybody from the receptionist to the senior VP of HR, so that you're able to make really great strategic bets and then put folks in position to be able to carry those things out. So the largest piece of it is that we got a lot of ego. And your ego is designed to protect you, Mallory, but it'll fuel all manner of toxic behavior. And so what we're seeing right now, we've seen this a lot in the last 20 months, is the bubbling up of a lot of latent toxicity in the work that we're doing now. So that's what I would say. The ego, masking toxic behaviors, developing all types of Unhealthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, not creating pathways for sustainability and durability for organizations over time. Kind of masking the ego is this helper, martyr that the nonprofit sector allows us, perhaps in a stronger way than in other sectors, to sort of hide behind do-gooding and to be like, well, I'm having this impact or this thing is good. And so we aren't one, being called out for that type of behavior, Mm -hmm. and we're not looking at it or taking any ownership about it. That's exactly right. So I talk a lot about martyritis. And martyritis is the kissing cousin of being a working hot looking. So when you think about martyritis, it's the disease of wanting to be seen as laying myself prostrate before my mission. And everybody must know how hard I've worked and I've toiled. And if I wasn't here, the work just wouldn't get done. Kashana, let me give you 9,245 examples. I mean, it's a lot, y'all. When the reality is that for many of us, particularly who sit in leadership seats, and I don't mean necessarily just ED CEOs, I mean VPs, I mean managing directors, and frankly, you can lead by inference, influence, and by title, and Even if you're not in the position where you're in the executive room making decisions, you have a level of autonomy and decision-making that it is within your grasp, thereby making you a leader. You're a CEO of your thing. And so oftentimes I see the effects of folks who have just let it go too far because they've been sold this idea that you've got to flog your guts out to do this work so that people just will know how much you you bleed for the mission. That is not the way work is designed to be. Not anymore. It's not supposed to be. And so the martyritis shows up when not only do you do that and behave in that way, but you want to make it public. Look at me at 11 o'clock turning out the lights last. Let me be the last one to send an email at 1 a.m. Just so you know, I was up late, but it's because the mission. No, get better working habits and behaviors. Let's have a conversation about your time management and about responsibility, and about being able to delegate effectively. Different conversation. So how do you think about this when you think about it in terms of a sector-wide challenge, right? So a lot of the work I can imagine that you're doing going into these organizations, helping them flush this out, right? Cure this disease within their organization. But one thing I'm thinking about is how much turnover transition we see inside the sector in general. I talk about this a lot as a fundraiser, I hated fundraising for so many years. I was convinced that it was either me, that I was a bad fundraiser, or that it was my organization, that it would feel different somewhere else. So I kept bouncing around, blaming it on these like situational experiences or, oh, I I just don't know this secret to fundraising that everybody else knows. So 
what is necessary to raise the consciousness of the sector to be like, listen, yeah, we can solve this problem over here and solve this problem over here, but what will it take for us all to take this step back and be like, we all need to take some responsibility for this right now? I mean, the reality is that we, and particularly if you're a professional fundraiser listening to this, whether you have bought into it consciously or subconsciously, this idea that we're not professionals. Oh, we say we are though. We have books, conferences, certifications, designations, but you continue to treat team members whose jobs it is to bring transformative resources into your organization to action your mission and to keep it a whole thousand to make sure that everybody in the building gets paid on the 15th and the 30th. Let's be clear. But you don't want to train folks. My brother right now, is he's been in pharma sales for most of his adult career and he's going into a new role at a new company and he is well experienced. And let me tell you what he's about to be in for the next month training every day. Because in order for him to understand the product, in order for him to understand his customer, in order for him to understand policy, procedure, and practice, in order for him to start to understand nuance, market, et cetera, he's got to study because he is charged with bringing in millions. So why do we expect our professionals to not behave in a transactional way, which is what you do when you do not have nuance or context or depth of relationship, to be successful if we're not giving them place or space or resourcing them to study. There's no wonder. You and I are in the same boat. I always look at my career and I look at the organizations that I was chief development officer or chief external affairs officer and then how much money they raised the year I left, in the two years that I left. If an organization is doubling or tripling their revenue the year after I left, baby, I want y'all to know it wasn't because of the new people. Because in order to be able to get folks to yes, you have to understand how to lay track. And so if you are an executive leader, if you're a board member right now, if you're a really excited volunteer, if you're a people manager listening, it's like, damn, that's why so-and-so left? Yes. So as a people manager myself, Mallory, I had to learn what does onboarding look like for my people? What are realistic goals? What are the small wins that I get to just, you know, like remember when you with your, with your little one, if you do any kind of the holiday things, you got to bury things in the grass. I don't know which one. Okay, anything where the children got to go on a scavenger hunt. You make it easy for the babies. You don't bury it a half a mile out when you have a three-year-old underfoot. Like, that's just not the math. You put it right at the front door and they get excited and they go, oh, look, I felt my back. And then they go look for the next thing and the next thing and they'll keep venturing further out. So y'all feel like we're not still the kindergartners we always were? We are still looking to be seen, heard, and validated. We still want to be rewarded. We still want to be acknowledged. So why would we not think that it's our responsibility as leaders to lay track for our team members to be successful. Okay, so I want to say something that I'm sure some folks are going to, it's going to rub them the wrong way. But I feel like in addition to perhaps the avoidance of even thinking about these things or taking that step back or asking ourselves these hard questions, I also feel like one of the things that's tied to this martyritis is almost this like, well, I had to suffer like that. I had to create the HR plan when I was hired. And then I had to create this when I was hired. And then I had to create this when I was hired. So why shouldn't they have to? And I feel it so much with women on women dynamics. Yes. So here's the thing. Let me, so so the thing I want folks to consider, and Mallory, I, I know you'll go along with this one. If you plant seed in the soil, a lot of us became plant mamas, Build whole gardens over the pandemic. First of all, my thumb's still brown as hell, y'all. I got blue lights, misters, okay? It's the same. I done killed every tree. That's it. That's not my ministry, but I did try. But the analogy still holds. If you were the one to create the policy, seed plant. If you were the one to create the documents, seed plant. If you were the first one to go out and set the standards, set the pace on how gifts are raised, that's a standard operating procedure that you should have written down, seed plant. So if you were the one to literally get it out the dirt, if you planted good seed and you fertilized it and you watered it and you made sure the conditions were good, it should be able to reap fruit. So if you are really about your I did it first, then you should be proud to watch your work blossom and grow and watch other professionals step in and then go, now I need you to propagate that thing and plant it over here so that we can make sure that we're able to not be spread too thin. And we don't overrun this process. We don't overrun this particular strategy. We don't overrun this particular event. So instead of operating from a place of, well, I did it. And so you have to earn your stripes. 
there are some stripes that I would like us to learn. There are some times where, particularly if you're coming new into a way of being, that there's a difference between having exposure. You done seen it at that. Look, y'all, you've seen it. Having experience, you might have seen it a time or two. And having expertise, true time on task that allowed you to learn from your mistakes, allowed you to pivot, allowed you to refine, allowed you to get your lumps and your bumps. So if you are in the expertise seat and you see a younger professional and particularly another woman who is in the exposure seat, but she's acting brand new, like she's in the expertise seat. That's not the moment to go, well, I did it. So you need to figure it out yourself too. No, no. Boop, boop. That's the moment to pull her right up and say, hey, hey, let me share with you some ways that have worked in the past. Maybe take these ways and try them the first time. And now since times have shifted and changed, you'll be able to refine a little bit differently so that you can make your own mark. And then when you're in that expertise seat, helping younger professionals or less seasoned professionals move from exposure to experience to expertise, then you get the credit for knowing how to build up professionals. But we don't get focused on that, Mallory, when we're thinking about that. We get into the, some of y'all gonna be real mad. A lot of us as women, and particularly as white women, what we really want to do is get close to white men's power and money. And you can say that across any sector, across any, I mean, there's thousands of academicians who have studies in books and tomes and TED Talks about that very topic. So y'all, if y'all don't believe me, just type that what I just said in (laughs) and unleash the internet to you. But the reality is many of us don't actively realize that that's what's happening. So you have to be present and conscious and then you have to decide to make different decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. First Tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tea of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tea of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. What do you think about that, Mallory? I mean, you know, one of the first conversations you and I ever had, I admitted to exactly that when I was in a leadership role of an organization with an all white board, primarily men, and I did not have the consciousness to recognize what was happening. And I don't think that excuses my behavior or the opportunities that I lost to elevate my staff or transfer power to them when it was really important to do so. And I think it's interesting for me as someone who didn't have an organization that invested in my professional development or any of those things, I went a long time without really getting professionalized in the sector. And what changed it for me was going through executive coach training, which was my own investment in my own leadership and in my own career. And as I got certified as an executive coach, And I started to really deconstruct some of the thoughts, beliefs, habits I had formed, just all of my subconscious. I started to see pockets everywhere of like, oh, wait, why did I do that? Or why was I afraid to say that? Or why didn't I stand up there? And one of the conversations we had, like I explained how on one of these boards, I felt like I was getting gaslit all the time and I was way underpaid. I think I really, I had total martyritis. (laughs) I had clinical martyritis. Okay, (laughs) clinical martyritis. And so I really talk about it from a place of, I get it and- If you're listening to this conversation right now, this is your prompt to start to look at all of this. And I wish I had had this prompt 13 years ago. And so I feel like the thing I stay committed to here is know better, do better, and be honest. It's not easy for me to share stories about things that I'm not proud of or that I feel shame around related to like previous leadership roles. And you and I have talked about this in other ways too, that I feel like the conversation is changing around the role that like capitalism plays, white supremacy plays in this sector. But so often we talk about it in this high level. Yeah. Yes. Like it's not happening out there. Yeah. 
And the reality is, Mallory, like, I want folks to know that just because I'm a Black woman does not mean I am immune from the level of ignorance, nor does it mean that I have not benefited from white normative practices in organizations I've been in. I am quite, the first time I walked into one of my roles, now mind you, I am chief external affairs officer. I have a staff of 26, okay, across multiple time zones spread around the country. And the very first time I walked into my office and I did not have, and I said, y'all, my bundles, okay? I didn't have my long, wavy quaff that I'd been known for. And I had my Afro out, my hair curly. I had my hand on that doorknob to open up that door into the office for a good five minutes. So long that one of my team members was leaving to go to the bathroom and they popped the door open and scared the mess out of me and me them. So to think that I have not been able to benefit from play acting would be a lie. But I also looked up and realized I don't have a lot of Black professional friends. What the heck? I'm in the same boat of people I'm cussing. What? Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. So everybody has to start somewhere if you choose to. Some folk don't want to, and I don't want you. I just want you to know, we don't need to be friends. Like, my life will be okay. Just want y'all to know. But for lots of us who are really interested in the human connection, when I hear this all the time, Kashana, it's really about love and it's about people. You're damn right. And I don't know if any of y'all have been in a family where you wanted to cuss that uncle you had right out or a cousin that you had that y'all been feuding since y'all were playing Nintendo. So even within your own family that you share blood and DNA, you can't chalk it up to just being human and people and loving each other. No, you have to find your way to and through difficult conversations and relationships. And so what we're seeing right now, Mallory, to me in real time, I'm excited when you and I get to have conversations like this, right? Because it's going to do several things. For both of us who like to go deep in our friendships, we found so much connective tissue we, every week. And then this, and then this, right? And if we had, would have allowed that initial potential discomfort to muddy that, then we wouldn't be hooting and hollering on the phone and sending DMs and all type of mess. So the reality is that when you are thinking about relationships, because that's the work that we do, particularly if you are in seat, whether you have your eye on a leadership seat or you are in one, it is your responsibility to take a step back and really learn and understand and participate in the messy beauty of relationships. And so it can seem overwhelming, Mallory, because I know it was for me. Where do I start? Like, how Black do I need to be? Like, oh my God. Like, I am a Caribbean American woman. Like, I did not realize until I got to college that I was actually American. I was like, oh, hell, I guess this blue passport really is a thing. Like, oh, my bad. I ain't know. My parents didn't make a big deal of it at home. Growing up in the islands, they focused on class. Not as much on race. Doesn't mean race doesn't exist. That would be a lot. But classes in different parts of the world tends to be the thing that people hang on. My mom's super light. And so she has a lot of light skin privilege. Her family came from money. So they had that privilege. So I wasn't thinking about that stuff. But I did not miss the hard lessons of being reminded, oh, baby, you are very much a Black woman. Thanks. Here's how it showed up, Mallory, real quick. So the amount of money that I'm responsible for raising the window that I need to raise it in is a third of my peers, but the goal is bigger, but the donor pool is smaller. Oh, I don't get access to the founder's list of people, but the, the head of finance is chummy chummy having lunch. Does the finance person got to close these gifts? Because I'm just wondering, I'm concerned. Oh, so every time I leave an organization, my job gets split into two or three. All of a sudden, magically, we have to reassess. So even though there are ways in which I benefit, there are definitely ways in which I was reminded, okay? A donor in the, when I worked in the, when I lived and worked in the South asking me to go to the side door. So, and it's not a who had it worse contest, right? It's again, coming back to that conversation, Mallory, about if we are to talk about the human condition and if we are really in the business of building relationships, it's being able to understand that in order to be able to lead effectively, you have got to be able to, at minimum, have a sympathetic position around the fabric of your team members and your partners and your colleagues. And when you're doing your endeavor best, that you can try to place yourself in that situation and try to imagine and then multiply that by 100 and then govern yourself accordingly. And you, I mean, Mallory, you did that. Like, it, it, you came to when you came to it. The lessons didn't happen until they needed to happen. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what's so important about these conversations is that when we stay in the meta space, particularly mm-hmm. around equity, people continue to deflect responsibility because right. they don't understand exactly what that might look like for them. And so I think this really goes back to what you started this with, which is ego. I think this is all about looking at our own ego and looking at, can we separate inner safety from ego? I think the thing I focus on a lot is like inner safety. I know who I am, what my values are, what I stand for. Do I always act in integrity with those things? No, because sometimes I don't even realize that action was out of integrity. And I actually think the way you and I became close so fast is because you lovingly called me out on some stuff, like on our first phone call. You were like, by the way, just so you know, that business practice might have a negative effect on black and brown leaders in our space. And I was like, oh, okay. Thank you for telling me that. And then I could change. And it was like, I didn't get into, but I'm such a good person and (laughs) and I'm doing all this good stuff. It was like, oh my gosh, thank you for opening my eyes to that. And I think because I have a level of inner safety and then self-knowing that's also really rooted in growing and learning and recognizing that I will never see the world exactly through other people's eyes. I can continue to build my empathy, to build my learning, to build my relationships, but I'm never going to see it all. And so I'm going to make mistakes. And the best thing I can do in those moments is to say, all right, tell me about it and let me do better. And I think to me, that is the moment that I want to make sure that folks don't miss. And it's the reason that I spend so much time working with women and women identifying folk, because it is critical that we do our own housekeeping. And the reason I say it's critical is because a lot of times you see this across so many different cultures globally. Women put ourselves last. We get to everybody else in our family, at work, in our social fabrics. There's always the queen bee. And what I would like us to try is to understand that you can actually do so much more when you put yourself first, but not when you're exhausted. Here's what I mean. For a lot of us, by the time we put ourselves first, we have had it. Okay? Think about the last time, friends, that y'all were like, you know what? If you have to start a statement with, you know what? You have already gotten to the end, friends. (laughs) Too late. Reset. Reset this phone. Start again. Mm. So what I want us to do is to really start from a place of true grounding. I call it 10 toes down. What does it mean for you to be really grounded in yourself? That's self-identity. That's self-expression. That's self-safety. And if you got to pray it away, heal it away, therapy it away, Mm. retreat it away, write it away, sing it away, dance it away. I keep going, Mallory. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you have to do. Or such kind of do all of them. (laughs) Hello. So I, okay, I'm a whole Gemini. I have to do every one of them. Okay. Whatever you have to do, whatever the combination that is necessary to fill you at this season of your life. Because some of us are still living in the past, Mallory. When I was in high school, I was such a, boop, you better stop that. You weigh the exact same that you weighed when you were in high school. You do not look the same, ma'am. Mm. Thurs, thems don't look the same. And so that means that what you needed for a different particular point in your life and what you need now to get to a similar center has shifted. So are you present for yourself in your own life before you start talking about anybody else? Are you working on the relationship of you? Wow. What you just said I would be like bolding and underlining and like, you know, I I will be pulling out of this episode because I hear from women all the time, my capacity has decreased. And I'm like, you had a baby. You're six years older than you were in the situation you're comparing yourself to. Like a bunch of other data about your life has totally totally changed totally changed. And so the work that you need to do to even access your capacity is different. And, you know, sometimes one of the things I kind of hate hearing about motherhood is like your capacity just grows. It just grows and grows and grows. That's a damn lie. <laughs> I'm <laughs> tired, man. <laughs> Stop feeding us that foolishness. I'm barely making it through the week. And my kid can feed herself. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think about these stories that were told and the patterns that they lead us to and Mm -hmm. the way they just cycle us and spin us around and around and around. And it's like, maybe it's actually just okay that you have less capacity now. 
Or maybe you do have the same capacity, but it's like water and it's spread across a lot of different glasses. And so it's never going to feel like the, any glass is full and perhaps that's okay. And what does it look like to take care of those glasses and just stop shooting all over ourselves that we should be something that we're not? It's so true. And listen, if you're the kind of person that you see five, six glass, you come to my house right now, well, you see my office. I've been staring at this one little hole. I took the TV off my office wall and I was like, why did I not repair that? So if you're like me and you're like, all oh, this glory in this office and you're looking at the one little hole, somebody's like, come on, where's Wildo? Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? But if you, the idea of 10 glasses with a quarter inch of water over your kitchen counter, your living room, your dining room table, in the bedroom, if that makes you want to run screaming for the hills, then you, therefore, my friend, cannot have that kind of life either, which means no is going to be your dishwasher. Pour the water into the other cup. Come on. Because you're not designed to be spread that thin. And so where you're going to have to re-anchor is around what is most important for me in this moment now, in this season now, And am I putting myself with the dribs and the drabs of the water that's left? So first start with yourself. If you know you need to move your body every day and it'll be a nicer person at work and you haven't seen your Peloton, your rower, you haven't put uh, your foot on the pavement, you haven't stretched yoga, Pilates, or or you haven't, ma'am, sirs, friends, what are we doing? That means you're not setting yourself up for the life that you say you want. And therefore, you're not actually setting yourself up to have the kind of impact that you're designed and purposed to have. And so to your point, Mallory, being able to say, my capacity is lower, that means you're you're exhausted. Or you may not be exhausted. You may be full of energy and just over it. You're just some relationships right now, Mallory, that I'm not interested in having anymore. For people who I've had them with for 18 years. And I realized, you know what? I don't really like you. Why? Are we in constant communication? This field, every time I want to call you, if you have to sigh deeply, every time you have to pick up the phone to call a person or do a thing, or you see an email come in and your whole insides are in knots, that's an indication. Your body does not lie. Your feelings will lie. But your body does not lie. And it's your body telling you, run or cut it. So that capacity thing that your clients and folks are talking to you about, Mallory, to me, is your body literally saying to you, if you don't go sit down somewhere, and relax. If you don't walk away, put it down. Oh, you have to make fresh meals for your kids every day? You do not. You do not. You do not. You do not. Maybe if it was 1956, maybe, but no. Now there are lots of convenience foods across every dietary wish that there could be. And if the baby having one prepackaged thing that gives you an extra 20 minutes to put your feet up and read three pages in that novel that you've been nursing for a week, you better get them that darn food and relax yourself. They'll be fine. Yeah. And I wish we could also just be more honest about some of that stuff. I love Elmo. Can we talk about Elmo? And I mean, the amount of frozen cauliflower crust Costco pizza I have eaten in the last two years, like I'm tired of this. How do you do it all? And this piece though, that I think is really, you know, I'm curious what you think about this is like, I will say that some of my self-discovery around what allows me to feel like I'm at my best or close to my best has come through exploration and coaching and and working with folks. And some of it has come by really learning the hard way, by being like, I think I want that thing. I think I want that life. I think I want to try to do all those things. And then I'm like, oh man, here I am, totally burnt out, totally wiped again. Okay, I guess I was wrong about that. So what's the pivot? What's the change? And so also to say to folks that if you're sitting there, I'm not totally sure what my cup balance looks like. It's okay to try something and play around with it, but be introspective throughout the process. Ideally work with a coach or work with Kish to like help you figure out like how do you calibrate throughout that learning process so that you are ultimately designing the life that's going to create the leader you want to be. And to be clear, friends, I have my own set of coaches. I have a care team. Because what ended up happening to when we first started talking, Mallory, about like being on big stages, et cetera, you don't get all this kish just because of magic and prayer. No, I have to get my cup filled a different way. And so I have a care team. My folks who work on my physical with me, my folks who work on my mental, my folks who work on my emotional, my folks who work on my spiritual with me. I wouldn't be the kind of coach or trainer that I'm able to be. I wouldn't be able to leave it all on the court if I did not put together the type of team 
that I can navigate as I'm shifting and moving and my energy is shifting and moving in places. And so I think a lot of times when we think about coaching and we think of particularly because the coaching industry now, depending on what part slice of the internet you're in, it could be a sham and a mess and a scam and a miss. But if you pick the right type of coach, there's a difference between a coach and somebody telling you what to do. You're a good coach is going to help unlock you. You're going to feel seen. You're going to feel like you have a battery pack. You're going to feel like all of your hair has been ripped from your scalp. Some days you're going to want to fight your coach. Like, I don't call me anymore. <laughs> I've got to go. I've got to get off the phone immediately. <laughs> because that's how seen you will feel. And that investment does not have to be at the hands of your employer. Why? Because you get to decide. You get to make a decision about how you want to govern your life. And part of that is being able to walk alongside folks who can thought partner with you because you may think you're going down this road right here, Mallory, when really you, re- you end up going, oh, 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 so you may, you may hear, uh, hear, wait a minute, hear, and then you zoom and you're gone. So I think it's really important that we start to normalize getting our care team, getting our support team. Yes. I mean, I always say I'm being coached. I have my own care team. The best coaches are all being coached because we all need to be filled up in different ways. We all have our blind spots too. And we need our accountability partners. And I agree. I've been talking a lot recently about investing in yourself because I do think that we can adapt and and innovate as leaders faster than the sector as a whole. So maybe don't waste your time going to your board to get approval. Maybe take the reins and say, all right, 2022, this is the year where I'm really going to invest in myself. I'm really going to invest in my leadership and I'm ready to figure it out. And I also think the other thing, I love what you said about the difference between a coach and someone who's going to give you advice. I also think when I think about the integrity of coaching is like that a coach trusts that you really do have the answers and it is the art of the guidance and the questions that get you there. And I think there is just this deep, we all have access to deeper knowing than we give ourselves credit for. And it is an art and a practice and time. And you're right, a not a DIY course to tap into, to be guided into what we really know about ourselves. Yeah. So, so good. And I've learned it the hard way. Like I was one of those folks that was like, you want me to pay for what? Is my job not paying for that? You want me to go to what conference? Wait a minute. So y'all not gonna give me any money? And then I realized like, oh, my professional development is hinged on somebody else deciding that I'm worthy of investing. No, I know I'm worthy of it. I'm gonna figure this thing out. Well, I did not realize we were going to talk about this, but I feel like this is the best Happy New Year episode ever because here we are kicking off 2022. So tell folks all the ways they can find you, work with you. What are some of your favorite ways to work with folks? So my favorite ways to work with folks, oh, there's so many, but this year... My favorite ways are going to be just in three simple ways. One, if I work with your organization, particularly your executive leadership, on your talent management, on your team management. So I do trainings. My team come in, we do facilitations, we do retreats. We get folks together and get them moving toward and beyond their goals. And so that's number one. The second way is in spending the morning or afternoon with me one-on-one in a VIP session. So that's really focused on actioning your strategy, putting together your strategy if you need one. And because all of my work is around people and talent and organizational development, when it comes to the operating engine of your organization, spending the morning with me in a one-on-one session will catapult you to your goals. And so if you're an executive director or CEO or VP, you're like, oh, let me talk to her. And then lastly, oh my gosh, Mallory, I am going to be finally, after five years of folks asking me for this, rolling out a group coaching and leadership program for women. And it is going to be freaking phenomenal. And so that is just like, ugh, it's so delicious. I don't, I can't even help myself. And it's just going to be the thing that I think is going to really continue to elevate the work that we've been talking about this whole conversation and really emboldening women and folks to see themselves differently and not just to see it, but to decide to do something about it. Mm. 
I love it. I love it. I'm so excited for that program. I'm so excited for 2022 with you, my friend. So thank you. Thank you for kicking off this season with me and just for everything that you do to elevate this sector and show up for everyone, really. It's such a privilege and an honor to like be in your orbit. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You are such a gift. And I just know this year is going to be amazing, friends. Okay. (laughs) Come on, get into it. Uh, All right. Bye, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Bye, y'all. Honestly, Kashana and I probably could have talked for multiple days straight and we still wouldn't have been able to cover everything we wanted to. But here's what I hope you're taking away from this episode. One of the most important things you can do right now is to take a look at yourself, at your ego, at your leadership, at what's holding you back, at what's lighting you up, and to ask yourself, what if? What if I finally set boundaries around my time? What if I didn't keep stressing about my fundraising goals because I had a system and a strategy on lock? What if I invested in myself this year? What if my board finally helped me fundraise? All of these things are possible. But before we can create a plan that's going to stick, we have to look within. We have to be honest about the way our ego is playing out in our work. And it's playing out for everyone, me too. It's a part of being human. The important thing is that our ego doesn't hold us back, right? Because guess what? It's the same thing as that self-critic and all that negative and perfectionist chatter. What will it take for you to release that voice this year? The answer is different for everyone, but I hope you found some answers here. There were so many takeaways from this episode, so head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to get access to everything right now. You'll also find more information there about Kashana's incredible work and how to connect with her. When an organization wants to grow, find, and retain people on their team, raise money, and more, Kashana is the fairy godmother they have on speed dial, and her work isn't limited to organizations. She also coaches high-performing leaders too. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you, and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. you. I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.